In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What would it look like for you to put your best foot forward? It's amazing that in some churches, people expect guests who come to put their best foot forward. Congregants want them to put on their best faces, present themselves as perfect, and prove they are worthy of the current members, welcoming them among their numbers. I have heard horror stories of pastors and rectors who have lamented that congregants did not greet the guests in their midst. And when they confronted those congregants, they would respond with saying, well, we don't know if we want them as part of our church. It is weighty to think that when some people go to a church, no one knows the joys or the pains they carry. They may be uneasy and wonder if they will be welcomed. They may have experienced pain and hurt at another church and they're wondering if they are going to have the same experiences when they darken the doors of a new church. At the same time, you may find those who are in trying to determine if those other people fit, never considering the possibility that God wants the church to change and that the people who don't currently fit are the ones that God is sending them to help them do so because they're already just a little different. I have to say, though it seems a little unsightly, I love the fact that we have scaffolding in the narthex right now. Only because it, it shows the humanity, it shows the frailty of human systems. It's a reflection of all of us as individuals, as people who are broken, who need grace, mercy, restoration, and love shown to us as people who are in need. So when looking at people coming in and people trying to figure out, do, do I mesh with you? Do I not? Here's the real question that our gospel reading brings me to. Who wants to come among you? Who wants to be a part of you? And have you ever considered that the answer might be no one. Today's gospel provides us with two parables, one with the man and one with the woman. That's very common in Lucan writing. And the two parables are really the same. You see, before the parables, Luke gives some background regarding what's going on with Jesus. And the first two verses say, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Notice that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. You see, Jesus was approachable. His demeanor, character, actions, and words encouraged people to come to him. 
Do your attitudes and actions do the same? Or are you like the other people in this text? Are you like the Pharisees and the scribes who grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them? On one level, they were probably jealous because no one wanted to hear what they had to say. So they did what people do when someone else gets the attention and they want it. They complained because they are not the center of attention. At the same time, their complaint reveals something about Jesus and challenges those who profess to follow him to be like him. Not only were people attracted to Jesus and what he was saying, but Jesus also received them. He ate with them. Are you willing to do that? And I can imagine some people are thinking, but Father Dan, what will people think of me? What about my reputation? What about, just fill in the blank with whatever excuse you want to, what about these things? These things do not make or break you in the eyes of God. But I guarantee you one thing, they will impact how other people see you. Maybe even how other people treat you. The problem is that many people in the church care more about people's opinions than God's standards. You see, Jesus, on the other hand, lived his life in a way by which he said, ain't nobody got time for people's opinions. And he went about doing his father's business. He drew people, he received them, and he ate with them. Luke challenges his readers by presenting us with this scenario, which leads us to this question. Will you be like Jesus? So amid the grumbling and complaining, Jesus tells them a parable. And based on the time, for those of you who are hungry or missed breakfast, I did not say a lunchable. I said he told them a parable. So when looking at the first parable, you see a man who has a hundred sheep and he has lost one. So now he's down to 99. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? He does what most people would say is the most ridiculous thing ever. He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one until he finds it. Now, in our contemporary society, people would say it is insane to leave the 99 for the one. I mean, it's only, what, a 1% loss? Most people would dedicate their time to the 99 they have left. They would care for and tend to them, hoping not to lose another. I mean, why go after the one? Similarly, Jesus tells another parable about a woman with 10 silver coins. She, like the man with the sheep, she loses one. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house 
and seeks diligently until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors, telling them to rejoice with her, not over the fact that she now has ten coins again. She calls them to rejoice over the fact that she found the one. When you look at this man, he went after the one. He found the one. He laid it on his shoulders. He rejoiced. And when he got home, he called together his friends and neighbors and told them to rejoice. Not because he once again had a hundred sheep, but because he found the one. I remember coming across a cartoon that gave a nice rendition of this. And Jesus is the one with the one lamb as he's coming back, this one sheep. And all of a sudden, another sheep confronts Jesus and goes, wait a minute. He wasn't lost. We kicked him out. And Jesus just gives a look at this sheep like, what? How often do we take the attitude of, wait, they weren't lost. We kicked them out. You see, the man rejoiced over his sheep. The woman rejoiced over her coin. And at the end of both parables, Jesus brings the message home to talk about the value of the one created in the image and likeness of Almighty God. You see, this text isn't just about sheep and coins. The beginning of this text tells us that there were sinners. There were tax collectors who were coming to Jesus. This isn't about the sheep and coins. This is about people who were made in the image of God. Jesus mentions the heavenly joy before the angels of God. As he concludes the parable of the lost sheep, he says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who need no repentance. With the lost coin, he says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So if this is about more than one sheep and one coin, but it takes us to one person. And how many ones are there? We have to look at the value of a human life. And Peter highlights the value of people for us in first Peter chapter one. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Pretty expensive, right? 
but not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Every human life is worth the precious blood of Jesus. You see, no matter where you come from or who you are, Christ is in the business of redeeming people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And let me be clear, for those who may be confused, you must understand that that is a biblical statement and anything else is antithetical to the gospel of Christ Jesus. You see, Christ came for all kinds of people. Therefore, you are biblically obligated to welcome those people when they come through the church doors. In fact, you should be the ones inviting them through the church doors. You see, when Jesus gave his great commission, it wasn't just given to clergy. It wasn't just given to specific individuals, but notice, yes, he gave it to his disciples, those who were gathered around, and it was to be a perpetual business that we are all to be about even to this day. When it comes to the value of human life, Christ did not shed his precious blood simply for the salvation of the immaterial part of the human being that we call the soul. You see, as Anglicans, we confess that we believe in the resurrection of the body. We are about to make that confession in just a few minutes. Therefore, you must recognize that the one may look differently than you, may think differently than you, may speak a different language than you, have a different national origin than you, have different music preferences than you, have different partisan views than you, and have different ideas for solving problems than you. So all saints, how do you feel about the one? How do you feel about the one who doesn't seem to fit into the congregation's culture, whatever that actually means? How do you feel about the homeless person who comes through the doors of this church to worship God? How do you feel about young adults who have been hurt in the church and are searching for a place where they can grow in their faith and love Jesus without being bombarded with worldly philosophies and partisan politics? What if the one is a member of your family, your friend, your neighbor, or your loved one? Would you want someone to receive them no matter their appearance, social status, or station in life? I want you to remember this. You are called to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if you want someone to welcome your loved ones, you are morally and biblically obligated to welcome theirs. 
And there comes a moment where people are like, but what, what can I do? How can I do this? There is nothing too big or small for you to do when it comes to welcoming people into the community of faith. Taking a part in ministering to people in ways seen and unseen. See, when I lived in Canada a few years back, I ended up at a youth conference. And somehow, they had me working security. I'm still trying to figure that one out. And I saw a group of senior citizens coming in. And, you know, everybody's supposed to have the little name badge. And I'm like, okay, wait. What is it? Okay, there's some grandparents rolling through here, and I don't see name badges. So I'm like, excuse me, ma'am. Can you help me understand who you are, why you're here? And all of a sudden... Granny reaches into her purse, and I'm like, I know I'm in Canada, but I'm from the United States, and I'm like, what is she getting out of her purse right now? And she whips out her little name badge, she goes, oh, I'm on the prayer team. We're all on the prayer team, and so we're just coming to pray right quick. And I'm like, wait, what? Excuse me. Nobody told me about a prayer team. What's going on? She goes, oh, no, we're not going down front to pray for people. Like, we're not the people who are going to be on the platform or praying down front with these teenagers. We're too old for that. That was her words, not mine. And she said, our job as part of this conference is we're praying for young people to come to know Jesus while people are preaching and while the ministry of the word is going forth and all of those things. And while people are praying for them down front, we're, we're simply in the back praying that their hearts and minds will be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, like, Mr. Security guy who's trying to be all tough and stop a group of like senior citizens is like on the verge of tears now. Why? Because they recognize that no matter what in the body of Christ, they had a part to play. I know our ministry fair is done for the day, but here's the thing. Just because you might have missed it doesn't mean that you still cannot be involved in the life of this church. So find out what all was going on. If there's still like signups available, go ahead and do that. But here's the other thing. Maybe you'll walk through and you're like, I don't have a clue about any of this stuff. And I don't know. But God's given me a passion and a heart to do this. Here's something for you to do. Talk to the clergy about actually getting it done. And let's see if we can make it happen. We can do ministry outside the box, and it's okay, because let me tell you, Jesus did ministry outside the box. When the man turned around and came and was blind, and God's like, okay, mud on the eyes, yeah, that was outside the box ministry. Here's what I want you to do. Beyond simply spending time in prayer or signing up for something, I want you to, follow me here, meet somebody here. You don't know. And welcome them. Now, don't be weird about it and be like, well, you know, I'm going to welcome you to the church when you know they've been going here for like over a year and you just don't know them. But welcome them into your life. And I sort of scan the room. I don't think anybody's going to like bite you, shank you or anything of that nature. So you should be good to go. In all seriousness, though, are you willing to be like Jesus and receive those whom others complain about? Note that Jesus talked about 
heavenly rejoicing over the one. As people who were looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I want you to live like the citizens of that holy city that has gates that are never shut. You should never show partiality or have any in your hearts as you participate in the invitation of the spirit and the bride who say, come. May all saints always put her best foot forward. May all saints be a church that is a community of biblical faith to which people are drawn. And may all saints always receive those who respond to the call and indeed come. May it be so. Amen.